rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Welcome to another episode of Rumors of Grace. This is Bob Hutchins, and I am coming to you from beautiful Franklin, Tennessee. Sitting across the table from me today is Mr. Brady Toops. Brady is, first of all, he's a super interesting guy. We're going to learn more and dive into that here in a few minutes. But I want to give you a little bit about his bio, and I won't read the whole thing because there's too much here, but this is straight off his website. BradyTubes.com. You can check it out too. So right now, Brady uh, is a musician. He blends Americana, folk, and soul. Uh, he's a songwriter. He's had uh, over 3 million spins on Spotify. Pace Magazine has named him a name to watch out for. Uh, going back a few years, he's originally from New London, a small Minnesota town where he went to school uh, he ended up going to the University of Arkansas, and he made a brief stint in the minor league with the St. Louis Cardinals, so I'm anxious to hear a little bit about that. A few years later, Toops uh, moved here to Nashville, where he is, where he lives, and he's got a lot of things going on. Um, he also had a slight hiatus from touring in 2015 when he appeared on season 11 of The Bachelorette, which we will touch on briefly as well. <laughs> Lots of fun stuff there that I've, that I've learned uh, from Brady on that. So Brady, welcome to the podcast. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're one of these guys that I've had my eye on. I listened to your podcast, The Unravel, which I love. Thank you. And uh, I've said one of these days, I've got to talk to Brady because our stories are a little bit similar, our journeys, but Obviously, yours is a lot more interesting than mine, so let's just dive right into that. Who is Brady Toops? Talk to me about New London, Minnesota, if you would. Oh, New London, the metropolis of New London, Minnesota. <laughs> a thousand people where everybody knows everybody, and there's no stop. Is it really a thousand people? Yeah, a thousand people. We live just outside of town on a, on a little uh, lake, and uh, you know... There's no stoplights in my mm. town. There's two gas stations. There's an A&W root beer, and there's a high school. So is it like countries? Like Yeah, there's a lot, it's, a, it's in the middle of like a farm, farming community, mm -hmm. and uh, really nice people, Minnesota nice. Uh, did, you have a did you grow up on a farm? I didn't. Uh, I actually grew up playing sports. Okay. You know, a lot of people in Minnesota are big hunt hunters, fishers. Uh, my dad, from you know the age we were, before we could walk, he probably put a, a baseball bat in our hands. Mm -hmm. And so I, I grew up playing all the sports. I have two brothers, two sisters. We were all super competitive, super athletic. And we we definitely had some battles on the wiffle mm. ball, uh, <laughs> ball field in the front yard. So is baseball your preference? Well, baseball, I think, was what I was best at. Mm. You know, the other main sports I played were basketball and football. And usually in those sports, you, you have to be huge or unbelievably gifted athletically to take it right. to the next level. And I knew that baseball was a sport that if I could be fundamentally or, you know, technically sound, uh, I could use my athletic ability sure. to take it to the next level. And ultimately, you know, I got to play at a high level in, uh, in college and mm. got to play in the minor leagues for, for a few years, which, which, which was wild and lonely and cool and 
totally overrated all at the same time. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so how did you get out of Minnesota? Was it was it baseball, college? Yeah, you know, I, I applied to a bunch of different schools and ended up getting a, an, a full ride academically to go to Arkansas. My parents were teachers, small town. So there wasn't a... It, I'm actually a triplet. I'm one of three. So oh, wow, I didn't know that. There were three of us that graduated at the same time. We were the oldest of the five. Okay. And my parents, when I was around 10 or so, said, hey, listen, we, we would love to pay for your college, but it's just not going to happen on a teacher's salary, but they also valued academics in a major way. So they said, you know, you're going to have to find a way to get, to get your college covered. Sure. I don't know if that was the moment or if there was just a lot of moments for me, but I went, okay, I got, I got to do this well. And I ended up getting a 4.0 in high school and was valedictorian and got a full ride and went on to play. I got recruited by Arkansas as well, but I was primarily an academic, you know, scholarship guy and then played four years there uh captain the last couple of years got to play in uh you, you know three regional tournaments two super regionals a college world series was an espn got drafted then the 10th round by the cardinals and i mean it, it was it's it actually feels like a former life because that was now about 15 years ago yeah, yeah. but it, but it, it was a major portion i mean until i was about 25 i played baseball at a really mm. intense level yeah mm. And and then what took you away from that? Uh, you left the minor leagues. Yeah, you were pursuing maybe your athletic dream. Uh huh. I mean, there's a day usually in most baseball players' lives where you get called into the office mm -hmm. after a game. Mm -hmm. The coach says, "Sit down." He says, "Thank you for everything you've given us. The organization has decided to make a change, and unfortunately, we got to let you go." Mm. And that was the moment it ended. Was I that devastated to you? Uh, it wasn't devastating because. I didn't really find my identity in baseball. Yeah. You know, we all find our identities in, in basic things from what we do to what we have to what people think about us. For me, I didn't really find a, I, baseball was kind of just a thing I did, right. but it was a, it was a real shock to my system with the whole now what mm -hmm. my life had been mostly mapped out for me up to that point. And I then spent probably the next year asking myself the question, what do I want to do next? What, what is the thing that makes me come alive? What, what's worth giving my time to? Because I'd always told my parents when I was young, I said, my goal, my career goal in life is to never have a real job. Hmm. And, uh, and 25 years old, I had yet to have a real job. I was playing professional baseball to make money. I mean, it was like, it was wild. So then I went on this journey. And for me, that's sort of when the transition to music happened. I'd, I'd always kind of, I loved music. I loved to sing. And I started writing songs while I was playing in the minor leagues. And then after that, uh, after that season ended, I thought, you know, the thing I love most is music. So I wonder if I can make a living out of it. And I didn't know hardly anything. I'd never made a record. I'd barely written a song. And I got some guys together. I said, can we make a record? And that was about 2008. And we made a little record that wasn't very good with some pretty average songs. But I had a lot of heart and loved it. Right and started the music journey playing anywhere I could. I mean, you know, I remember the first time I made 50 bucks playing at a coffee shop. It just blew my mind. Mm. I was like, people actually paid me <laughs> to do the thing that I love. I felt like I was stealing from them. Now, had you moved to Nashville by then? I didn't. I, I kind of roamed around for a couple of years playing anywhere I could from churches to coffee shops to restaurants. It didn't matter. And then uh, I think it was about 2009, 2010, 
where I came to Nashville for the first time to make a record, to try to take my game to the next level and get around the people who had been doing it for a long time. Came to town, made a record with a guy named Anthony Skinner, super talented, uh, really beautiful soul. And then I always had this thing about Nashville where I was not going to move here because that's what everybody did. Everybody moved here to try to make it. And I just wanted to move here to... Uh, to take my skill level to the next level. But when I moved here, I found uh, I found people that were just so amazing. There was such a value for creativity. There was a value for friendship and community. And I hadn't seen that type of culture in the places that I lived, from Minnesota to Arkansas to Kansas City. I lived in Kansas City for a number of years. And uh, I just went, it's a no-brainer for me to live here. Right. And, and, it's, and it felt like home real fast. Mm. So being here for 10 years now... Uh, it, it, I mean, it's definitely my favorite place I've ever lived. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. So back up a little bit. So in your home, there was five of you? There was kids? five kids, okay. yeah. And what? And your parents were teachers? Were they teachers at the college level, high no, school? No, uh, mom, second grade, third okay. grade teacher. Dad, uh, more in the high school, but then he also transitioned in kind of like a, a technology role. You know, he, my, my dad was a teacher back in the 80s. And he was also a coach. So basketball coach, baseball coach, and then it was on the onset, the technological advances started happening and they need somebody to like figure out the whole computer thing. So he mm. kind of took that over. So my dad's a five oh, okay. on the Enneagram, okay. he's kind of that so. investigator and he's kind of like likes to figure things out. And anyway, I think my mom's a three, but she hasn't accepted that. So <laughs> I've got, I've got mommy issues, but no, I love my mom. The only reason I say this is because I'm a three as well. Yeah. So, you know, you, when you, when you look at yourself in the mirror and you gotta, there you go, you gotta work with your shadow. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I get it. I get it. So, um, grew up in a church environment. Yeah. Really uh, like conservative Christian, small town church. Yeah. Like mid America, mid America, right. You sang a few hymns. You know, the biggest debate in our church was, uh, are we going to sing the old, like, tried and true songs, or are we going to sing these modern hymns? Like, <laughs> you know, that that was like a massive disagreement, you know, and, and you know, there, there, there wasn't really, like, theological debates. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit like, wait, uh... Uh, are the gifts that's, does God still heal today? Are the gifts this, you know, th- right. those are kind of like something because we were in a very conservative kind of expression and it was like, well, hmm, what, what is this? Is this, you know, too charismatic? Or, do the things in the Bible still happen today? That was kind of a conversation. Right. But, right. Yeah. Right. And, and so was the music thing then like, were you involved in music at church? Or? I was. I would sing because my dad would. My dad would do a lot of the worship at the church, okay. not in a paid matter, but every, right. everything was volunteer. I mean, small sure. town, everybody just pitches in, right? Yeah, you got your probably hundred people at the church or what? One hundred and fifty. Okay. Yeah, I mean, maybe in its biggest like Easter Us. Sunday, two twenty five. Right. You know, that was like a massive, sure. massive moment. But yeah, you know, we were pretty involved. I mean, yeah, uh, Wednesdays, sure. Sunday mornings, Sunday there was night. a there was probably a Bible study Monday, you know, yeah, and I and I had some really transformative moments, some mission trip moments. Um, also moments like in uh, music, worship, sort of like these kind of uh, abandoned kind of real just like expression and, you know, like mm-hmm. just unlocked a lot of parts of me mm-hmm. in trying to connect with ultimate, you know, God or ultimate reality. You know, that was, I, I think from a very young age, I was very interested and curious about this thing called God or mm-hmm. the word. The 
the person or the whatever it is, you know, and that has changed a lot for me throughout the years, maybe how I understand that word. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, early on, there was a lot of fear and torment. You know, I remember as a teenager, I would lay in bed and I would cry out to God to save me, like Mm -hmm. save me from hell or, you know, or my family, protect my family. I was, I was, a, I was kind of, there was a lot of, a lot of fear, fear mm-hmm. you know? And growing up, I, I also playing a lot of sports and, and holding myself to a pretty high standard, I projected onto God this uh, idea that he, he was sort of like he, <laughs> that he was a he first, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that there was a, a sort of Never, never quite good enough, mm. never done enough, very, very like demanding, kind of sure. frustrated, slightly angry, you know, which, which didn't really serve me all that well. Yeah. Created a lot of anxiety, anxiety sure. internal suffering around some of these concepts. And when I went to college, it was sort of a, a time that I began to explore God, spirituality in a more expansive way. And I kind of got into the charismatic world, mm-hmm. which for me was really positive because it was more experiential based than it was primarily kind of a head right. based belief system. Mm-hmm. And I'd had some pretty powerful mystical experiences, mystical just meaning kind of experiences with the divine mm-hmm. that in a way rewrote a lot of those unhelpful, unhealthy ideas of this sort of separate distant God into this experience of deep divine love, kindness, compassion, this kind of unyielding kindness. Yeah, that's good. You've got a lot of stuff going on in your brain because looking at you and you've got this high academic achiever, (laughs) then you've got this high athletic achiever, so you've got your mind and your body, and then you've got this musician, songwriter, creative you know, your four side of your, you know, your melancholy, yeah, right? right. <laughs> so there's like a lot of things going on. So with that type of brain and, and more of a Renaissance kind of guy, what what was the transitions as you go from conservative mid-America kid to now I'm recognized, I get this, this, this um, scholarship and I'm playing minor league ball to yeah. ah, now I'm going to go you know, move to Nashville and do music. Mm-hmm. What what was that like? Was there were those smooth transitions for you? Were they like speed bumps? What is someone like you with your personality and the way you were brought up and what you were experiencing? Mm-hmm. Do you look at it? You said you said earlier that it seems like uh, you know another life or something like that. Yeah. Was it? Are these like just natural happenings for you? Huh. That's an interesting question. I I I the other day wrote down all the various common experiences that I've had, like, you know, various things I've given a lot of time and energy to, you know, there's the basic part, there's the academic part, there's the music part. And one of the common threads between it all was that I was on stages a lot. So it's sort of the stage of baseball, the stage of this academic, you know, I gave up, gave the speech of the, the valedictorian speech, right? Music, you're literally on a stage. And I realized, oh, I like, I love, I love to perform in a sense, you know, and there's, there's also a, a beautiful, healthy side of that. And there's an unhealthy side of that. And so whatever expression it took, I think I, you know, the deep thing about the three is that we want to feel significant, mm. want to feel worth, value. 
And I think it was a way for me to unconsciously get my needs met. Mm -hmm. You know, the need for uh, acceptance or um, the need for, what are all the C's? Um, You know, credibility or, uh, I don't know, I, I... approval that's not a c <laughs> but anyway i just wanted to try to get, feel love i want to try to feel, sure. feel valuable and so whether and so the unhealthy part of that was then i'm going to be the center of attention totally so so the way that i look yeah. at it is is you can either walk onto a stage let's say you're playing music and you can try to take from everyone in there because mm-hmm. you have this deep chasm in you that needs to be filled by the validation of, of people outside of you to feel okay about you. Or you can step on stage knowing, being confident that you are, that you know your own value, that you know that you are loved, you know, all the, all those sort of internal realities. And then you can give a gift to the people in the room. Mm-hmm. And a, a three who is in health actually operates as a mirror to show everyone their own value and glory. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, a three in unhealth needs everyone to reaffirm them how awesome they are. Right. Yeah, and, and, I, and I've and depending on the moment, I have fluctuated between both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. I have a little more awareness around it now. Uh, but yeah, I think that's been my mm. my journey. Not smooth transitions, but you've always basically done the same thing. Is what yeah, you're in in a way, right? And my parents were always very supportive. They, you know, my parents told me. I remember this story, and I was growing up. My parents would say, "Brady, you can do anything you want. You can be mm-hmm. anything you want." And I and I remember I would kind of go away. I'd be like, "Is that true? Is it true?" Mm-hmm. And I would think about the craziest thing. I'd be like, "Can I?" I wondered. Hey, my I know my dad wanted to be an astronaut at one mm-hmm. point, and I went, "Dad, do you think I could be an astronaut?" He goes, "Son, I think you could be an astronaut." I'm like, wow. And hey, hey, dad, do you think I could be a major league baseball player? He's like, yeah, I think you could be a major league player. And he, like, I, I felt his belief in me, mm-hmm. which is a really powerful thing to have a, 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 a parental figure really truly believe in you. I remember the, the last time I think I did it, I was like, I thought about it, president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no interest in politics right. at all, really no interest. But I remember going to my mom, mom, do you think that I could be president of the United States? And she said, Brady, I think you do anything you want to do. And and I kind of carry that belief with me. Academics, sports, music, and and it, it, it really I think that's been a, a cornerstone of my path. I got oh I can I can figure this out. Yeah. Yeah, I could do this, you know. And and I also I think I also in a way won won a little bit of a lottery in if there's a gene pool lottery to be able to play athletics at a high level, to be able to sing, to be able to think in a way that's linear in the academic world. You know, I'm not saying that that's any better than anybody else, but it's allowed me to succeed in these various uh, worlds. But there's also been a thing where I've realized a lot of that is a is a development, a really strong development of the ego, of the small self, of the, you know, I've learned how to thrive in these worlds that the world esteems as really important, right? Sure. You know, uh, absolutely. But there also, I think, came a point where I realized, oh, this, but this isn't it. Right. Hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit. You you moved to Nashville. You started having to some success with your music and enjoying that and doing different things. And then 2015 comes along, and all of a sudden, 
you get asked to go be on The Bachelorette. Is yeah. That, is that how that, I'm sure there was a bigger story. We don't have to get in the details, but. Yeah, yeah, no, I got I, a friend of mine uh, submitted me. Oh, okay. And I don't know if it was a pity submission or, <laughs> you know, or what, but basically she was like, you need help. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you were telling me a lot of times, if you look on there, it's like people who obviously haven't had the best success with a long-term yeah. relationship because yeah. they're still looking. <laughs> yeah. I say everybody who goes, goes on that show is quite dysfunctional in relationships. <laughs> they haven't, you know, they haven't found what they're looking for. So mm-hmm. you go on that show and, you know, I, 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 I was really scared to go on that show. Mm. Uh, on one level, I was really, it was really like adventurous and exciting, and really seemed like super fun. On another level, I think I was really afraid of how I'd be perceived, how yeah. I'd come off, what people would think about me. the The biggest probably uh, valleys, the biggest roller coaster, was dealing with what people thought about me. And, you know, I, I went from 4,000 Instagram followers to 100,000 Instagram followers in the course of like a week or two. Mm-hmm. And that, that was jarring. It's jarring for, the, for the, the, the ego. And I realized that I was really defined and really tethered and tied to what people think of me. You know, I have a friend that says, you know, I'm, I'm not what, I'm not what, you think of me, I'm not what I think of me. I'm what I think you think I am, right? right? right. That kind of idea. And I, I would be on cloud nine, you know, re, even though everybody told me not to read any of the articles or any of the comments on, on social media, I read all of them because it was such a, it was such a drug to the ego. Wow, people think I'm awesome. They think I'm amazing. Oh, wow. And then the one hater comment and I would be thrust at like all the way down the mountain. I'd be like, oh, I'm nothing. I'm worthless, you know? And that that roller coaster of uh, really like self-abandonment, mm. like accept, feeling accepted, but then totally uh, rejected at the same time. You know, so I have another friend that says, nobody can reject you, only you can reject mm. you. Mm. And the deepest, pain, the deepest pain in life is self-abandonment. I've abandoned myself to over and over and over again, giving up my power at the expense of thinking that what you think about me is the truth about me. Mm. Mm. That's good. And so... So you went on The Bachelorette, you know, I know that that was kind of a, you know, who, anyone who's ever been on that, I'm sure it, it, there's lots of other sides of the story than what people see on, on television. You don't have <laughs> yeah. to get into the details of that, but was that a good experience for you or a bad experience or what What was that a catalyst for in your life? Man, good or bad, it, it was all of the above times a million. Mm. You know, it, uh, and that's what I say. It was the most painful, traumatic, beautiful, exciting, adventurous experience of my life. And really what it was a catalyst for me was, was a journey of self-awareness, of self-exploration and going, oh, I've got all these unconscious patterns in my life. Maybe it's time to take a look at them. Mm. And I really needed to learn how to find a sort of a deeper center in the midst of that storm, you know, if, if being defined by what everybody thinks about you is like living on top of the waves of the ocean, I needed to sink down a few levels. And, and the pain of that experience, really now I see it as a gift, a mm. deep gift to me that allowed me um, to evolve in a way that I needed to. And, and, and that's kind of been my last three or four years. And 
there's a lot that's happened in the last three or four years, but you know, I have I have sort of tra- uh, you know the Christian kind of thing was a was a helpful framework for a while, and then I sort of expand out reading all these other types of literature to try to find new ways to understand life, God, myself, the path, the journey that we were on, because I needed a more expansive view to make sense of this whole madness that we call life. Talk about that a little bit. You said you needed more an expansive view. Mm-hmm. By this time, you were you know had spent been been in Nashville for several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were involved in worship, leading worship and churches and writing your own music. And I don't know, was it Christian music that you were recording sometimes? Or? Yeah, I did a lot of Christian music early on. And then when I went through the show, The Bachelorette, I, uh, and, and went through a breakup in the midst of that, I started to write a lot of sad love songs. Right, right. <laughs> and I, I went through this sort of moment where I went, oh, maybe, you know, I was told that this place over here is where all the sacred stuff happens mm-hmm. inside the church, right? This is the, and then the outside of the church is where all the secular, or the non-holy stuff happens. And I started to find sort of a sacredness in writing songs that weren't just like about God. And I began to write a singer-songwriter record, which then made me go, maybe all of life is sacred. And, uh, and it, it, it really was also a transition in my perspective of God. You know, I, I grew up with the perspective of, that God was this being that sat on a throne outside of space and time that, you know, sometimes we received blessings from and sometimes we got the, the lightning bolts from, you know, sort of this Zeus type figure, right. right? And through some various moments, you know, I remember hearing a story from Marcus Borg, who's an author, and he said he had this transition in his early 30s where he was in a plane, and there was this mystical moment where he kind of looked around, and it was almost like everything had this luminescent quality. It was sort of light was coming through all things, you know, maybe I think of the Matrix, scene right, in the Mag- right. Matrix, you know, some of that kind of stuff, where he saw that... Um, that, you know, that God, this energy was in and through and around and all things, you know, it's not so much a being, he says, but I begin to see God as more of the ground of all being, this sort of energy, all encompassing spirit presence that like we are, uh, we are like fish in an ocean. Like we are in God as fish are in the ocean, the ocean are, and the ocean is in the fish, you know? And I think that's when I begin to have less of a dualistic lens about things. You know, a lot of what I grew up was, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is evil. You're in, you're out. Mm-hmm. You're a Christian, you're not a Christian. Right. right. You're going to heaven, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. And I got to this point where I was like, these uh, binary thoughts, ways of thinking are no longer helpful. And the way I really saw it was, you know, grew up black and white. And I think that's really the way we all grow up, right? Mm -hmm. You you kind of, as a kid, that's what you need, right? To develop a healthy ego. Don't touch that. It's hot, right? right? That's bad. That's good. And then, you know, you get in your twenties and you see, wow, like this is a little more gray. You know, my parents said these things, but I'm kind of experiencing that. There's a lot of gray in between the black and whites. But then I think there was a moment for me, and this is kind of more metaphor, but there was a moment where the black and white turned to color. Mm. And I realized maybe I've been thinking about it all wrong. Mm. 
in the sense of it's way more beautiful than I ever knew. More expansive, as you, as you said. More expansive. And how was that, was that journey for you? Um, obviously, there was, like you said, uh, coming out of the show, there was a range of emotions from that. But as you started to unpack this more expansive way of looking at life, what did that look like in the context of your current, maybe more traditional uh, f- network and community and friendships? Was that just smooth transition again in your life like you've always <laughs> had, or was it uh, uh, something different? Well, you know, a lot of the belonging, the community that I had found in my life was built around church structures. Mm. And when I began to ask the questions, the, some of the disrupting questions in that framework, questions like, wait, what is the Bible? Wait, what, is it, what does it mean inerrant, you know, infallible? Is, is that you really think that? Or, you know, the questions of like, church, wait, is this, is this really what God had in mind for this institution? Is this, is this a thing that really was meant to be created? Or I remember I started questioning, I remember I started posting about tithing. I started going off this, after the sacred cow of tithing. Cause I was reading all these right. books, you know, I was really trying to dissect and figure out I was unraveling. What were you trying to yeah. for yourself? What did you believe? Yeah. And it, it was really disruptive to the worlds that I was in, you know, and it was very threatening in a way. At the, at the end of the day, most people, at the end of the day, most people's base instinct is survival, right? Feed your family, get your bills paid. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's hard to get away from them. I mean, that, that's just a part of life. And when you start going after things that affect that, then it can get a bit nasty. Yeah. I've always said to professional clergy, um, if you could really get behind the, the camera and find out what people really believe, I think you'd find something very different. But that is affected by, like you said, their um, their livelihood. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to get a true, honest representation many times. Yeah. It can be very difficult. It can be very difficult. Yeah. And I, and I felt some pretty painful experiences in that context because it was something that I'd given a lot of energy to church, um, being a musician, playing, serving, you know, I felt a lot of pain in the transition out of kind of that world. There was a moment where I was like, I can no longer be in this world in the sense of what, what, what is opening up inside of me feels very, uh, like I'm a salmon swimming upstream. You know, they were, they're all this language was saying this. And I was like, I don't see it like this anymore. And the hard part about life is that you can't go backwards. It's almost like once you've seen, you can't unsee. That's right. And I was in a world that didn't serve my evolution process anymore, mm-hmm. which is interesting also because my mom, you know, she's, she's gone to church for her whole life and it's served her in a way. Mm-hmm. But I just knew life, God, the mystery was calling me into a new place. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know where that was headed. Mm-hmm. And it was a very lonely process. And I sometimes felt like I was crazy. Yeah. Oh, I've been there. Well, so I was, was the, reading and reading and reading and reading. What was books. the saving grace for you in that? Like, or let me say this. What was the turning point for you? Hmm. We talked about this a little bit earlier uh, when we had lunch, but there was a moment I read Richard Rohr for the first time. Mm. Falling Upward mm-hmm. was a book and everything belongs. Mm-hmm. And the things about those books that I think just 
that really saved me in a sense was a couple ideas. One was we can transcend and grow and evolve, but also include. Mm. We can include where we've come from, our net, our stories. We can we can include all the parts of ourselves, and let all the parts of ourselves have a seat at the table. And I think the other thing that was, you know, I think any of us we have a tendency to look back at our previous selves and to see it as, uh, you know, a little despised. Like I can't believe I thought that when I was sixteen. Oh, I can't mm, believe I did right. that when I was 25. Yeah. And the everything belongs idea mm. was the idea that, you know, all of this helped get you to this moment. Mm-hmm. And it can, in a way, serve you. Yeah. And that's so hard. So, so hard. hard. Especially for those of us who um, have, have had similar journeys, uh, but maybe a little bit later in life, mm. you mourn the, quote, wasted time. Yeah. But like and he says saying, nothing is wasted. That's right. Nothing is wasted, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a very Christian idea, mm-hmm. too. You know, like God works together for good, all things for those who love Him. Mm-hmm. You know, and in in that context, uh, you know, I I begin to. There was a moment. I remember there was a moment in L.A. where it was like all of my deconstruction kind of reached the pinnacle. You know, it started out with what is the Bible? And then that question went to, as I studied the Bible, what is church? And then that question went to, wait, what is this Jewish, Judeo-Christian narrative? And then I went to, wait, what, what is God? And it was deconstructing, you know, slowly and slowly and slowly. And then I got to this moment, I was walking a side, sidewalk in LA and I considered the thought for the first time that maybe God doesn't exist. And I... I had never actually allowed myself to consider that thought because it was too scary. And I went, what am I afraid of? And I thought for a second, maybe God doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I think also my idea of God needed to die. Yes. You know, the last, I forget who says the quote, but something like the last thing that's keeping you from God is, is God Mm -hmm. is the, basically the idea of God, Mm -hmm. you know, and and that's why I like you know I don't know if you've read um, uh, the Tao Te Ching. Okay. It's the it's the sacred book I guess of Taoism. Lao Tzu I think is his name. Right. You know, and I think the, the first chapter, one of the first verses, is like the you know the the true Tao is is is, the, is can't be can't be spoken can't be you know I have another friend that says when we speak we lie and it's a type of thing where I think. I had a spirituality was based, or Christianity was a belief system based mostly around words of defining certain things. You know, God was this, right. God was not this. And when, it, when you think of it like in a metaphor with like a sunset, you can have somebody get up there and tell you all the colors and they can name it and tell you why and the gases and the kind of thing. But what they're saying isn't the sunset. No, no. And there's a difference being, there's a difference with talking about something and then experiencing it. Exactly. And, and I think I got to a moment and that's when I say everything turned to color. Mm. And, you know, there's a roomy quote that says out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. Mm-hmm. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Mm. And in the midst of giving up my ideas of God, 
as the sort of basis for my own security or well-being. In a way, I surrendered or I fell upward into a reality that was better, mm. that was simply better. Mm. And uh, that's, you know, I was a, I, when, I, when I was a Christian, I was really concerned with who was right and who was wrong. And now I'm in a place where it doesn't matter to me as much anymore. That's right. I'd rather just stare at the sunset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. What um, Was that what precipitated your podcast, The Unravel? Mm. Yeah, in the midst of this process, I went through a massive unraveling, mm-hmm. so to speak. And there was a moment where I felt like I got to the other side at least enough to the other side where when I would be sitting around at a table, maybe at a restaurant, and some of these old conversations would come up where I would get really fired up around Christianity or religion or God or Jesus or atonement theory or the Bible, whatever, I found myself not having to, needed to, I didn't need to say anything. And it was like I didn't have a dog in the fight anymore, which meant, which was a, sort of a signpost for me that I that I could then maybe help, you know, because whatever you do something, you bring an energy mm-hmm. to it behind it. And if you're bringing sort of unreconciled pain as this undercurrent to what you do, oftentimes you create that same thing. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment where I felt a lot was reconciled within me, but I also understood how much of a painful journey it was mm-hmm. and a really lonely journey. And I thought, man, if I could help people not feel crazy and alone in this process that they're going through, right. losing friends, losing total communities, and I could create a roadmap for them and hold them by the hand and say, hey, let's have the conversation. You're, you're gonna be okay. This is a part of life mm-hmm. and it's calling you forward. And, and, I, I, and I'm here to tell you that like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. If I could help people along the way, it felt like it gave meaning to what I went through. And so I started, yeah, I started the podcast. And really, it was inspired by a quote from a 20th century Jewish philosopher named Martin Buber. And Martin Buber said this. He said, when two people authentically and humanly relate, God is the electricity that surges between them. Yes, yeah. And I felt that electricity. And I wanted to capture it. I wanted to have, just like you, I'm sure, have right, fascinating sure. conversations Absolutely. around these type of things. Mm. What's been the the unifying factor in all those uh, conversations that you've had? I know you've probably had, I don't know, 25, 30 yeah. podcasts yourself. What, what, uh, what's the unifying factor in all of them? Hmm. I think if we... If, if, if some way we were able to look at somebody and a magical way we could see all the experiences of their life kind of woven together, we could see that moment when they were five, when they got you know yelled at by their dad, and we could see that moment when they had their first kiss, and then we had this moment here where they felt really scared, and we could see all those moments and sort of the ways that they needed to cope and survive to make it through mm-hmm. and the different ideas that they came up with, we would understand. Mm. We would understand like why people are the way they are, why they believe what they believe. And at the end of the day, 
really, we all need a little bit more understanding, a little bit more uh, need to be seen, to be heard, to be known. And I just think that I realized that life really, it's a dance. It is a conversation. And um, when I let go of the need to be right or the need to convince, you know, I heard a guy one time say, the whole purpose of conversation is not to convince, it's not to coerce, it's not to prove. It's only to understand and to be understood. And the common theme really was if we can seek to understand and to be understood, the world is a more beautiful place. That's great. That's great. So what are you doing now? I know that you've got plans for the next season of the podcast, which I'm really excited about, but are you kind of through this transition and now you're looking at the lens of your life through your music, through, through, your, through your art? What's going on with Brady right now? Hmm. Well, I'm playing a lot of golf right now. So <laughs> <laughs> become a golf pro next. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, you know, I've been on this real journey over the last year. I stepped away from performing as much musically. I stopped the podcast for a minute. And I tried to make my heart more of a priority. Hmm. Meaning how can I create my life around my heart rather than the need to achieve Mm -hmm. or to be on a stage? Mm -hmm. And a lot of that was about trying to get clear about the things that I wanted to feel. And when I did the first season of the podcast, it was a lot about unraveling belief systems. When I got to the end of that, I realized that a deeper spirituality is a practice-based reality. It really is beyond belief. It's simple well-being in your body is as spiritual as anything. Feeling deep peace, getting out of suffering, experiencing true gladness inside of you, it really does matter. And so the, the last year, I've tried to structure my life in a way that was more serving of that serve my heart, serve me physically, you know, serve me emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I've kind of uh, explored more things. You know, a lot of my first season was about talking with either Christians or people who'd maybe post-Christian or, you know, where Christianity was kind of their either first language or they, were, they you know, still had some affiliation with sure. it or a lens that it still served them. And in my journey over the last year, I've gotten way outside that. I mean, I've, I've talked with, uh, you know, everybody from like Chinese, you know, medicine worker people to chiropractors to um, an astrologer to a medium psychic. And to, to see these people that, you know, in, in, when I was back in the Christian world, people said, no, they're, they're possessed, right? These, right. The, you, you, you should get stoned if you talk to this person, right? right? right. A soothsayer or whatever it is, you know? And it's really been about me unplugging from the stage to go on another journey, Mm. another journey of seeing life, of seeing my brother, seeing my sister in a new way and trying to be okay with the present moment, to be okay right here, 
right now, finding the simple gladness, the beauty that is here, mm-hmm. and uh, to see if I can sustain that and create a lifestyle that serves me, serves my heart, rather than me continually serving for a moment other than this moment. Right. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. You, you mentioned practices. Um, do you have certain practices that you have been doing, following, working on that, 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 you, that, that give you that inner development and you're working on yourself, working on your health, whether it be physically, psychologically, spiritually? What are some of those practices? Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I read a book called uh, Own the Day, Own Your Life by Aubrey Marcus. It was really helpful. It was a bunch of things, a bunch of practices. And really the, the first chapter is I've instituted it over the last year, year and a half. And it was this, when you get up, you need three things. You need to hydrate, you need sunlight, and you need movement. And so when I wake up, I get a, you know, a glass of water, I drink it, I do a little 10 minute yoga flow that loosens up my joints, you know, gets me breathing and in my body and I try to get in some sun. And that alone, rather than going right into work mode, has served me more than most things. You know, I've also have, I have supplements that I take that really help balance out some things. But in the end, I think I've had to learn how to slow down. And I've had to learn how to engage with work in a different way. What what runs faster for you, your your brain or your body? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I think that I have Cuz you're talking about slowing down, is that a is that like a literal thing, like I am always moving or is that like I've got to slow my mind down? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, it's slowing the mind down and it's observing the mind, hmm. right? I've realized in the last year how much of a slave I have been to my mind. And, you know, I heard, I, heard, I, think, it's, I think it's Eckhart Tolle who says this, that the mind loves to create problems because the mind loves to solve problems. So I've heard that quote. That's good. And the mind isn't, isn't a bad thing. He said the, the mind is a beautiful computer. It's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a beautiful slave, but it's a terrible master. And I have needed to sort of become more of a witness to that unconscious pattern in me. Because, you know, I read another book by Gay Hendricks called The Big Leap. If you haven't read it, it's one of my top five books I've ever read in the last year. It changed my thinking about a lot of things. And he goes, we have an upper limit problem. And the upper limit problem is this, that we are unwilling to feel good for too long. So when we feel, you know, you, the, 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 the classic example is that you, you go out with your special person, your partner, whatever, you, you have a beautiful evening, you have a bottle of wine, you have a great dinner, you have deep conversation. And on the way home with, you know, the last five, 10 minutes of the evening, you get in the most massive fight you've right. ever gotten into. And it completely blows up all the beautiful moments and the trust building and the love and the connection that you had. And he says, it's simply because we're unwilling to feel good for too long. And I find myself unwilling to let myself feel good for too long. I have to create a problem 
so that I can solve it, so that I can get that dopamine hit, that little Instagram uh, you know, scroll, so that I can then get the little caffeine buzz that gets me back on the hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. When there are moments when if I unplug from that way of being in the world, and instead of operating as this is an this I have to do, I have to work past this obstacle, I have to, this is a means to end, I've got to do this, I can sit in full acceptance of the moment and go, everything is as it should be, as it is right now. And I can learn to enjoy it. And the hardest part for me is trying to find that place of deep enjoyment inside of me. And when, I, when, when I'm in my better states, I can find it and I can hold it. And there's different practices. I mean, HeartMath has this really cool app and this biofeedback thing that connects to your ear and has this monitors the congruence level within your heart and your breathing. And there's a lot of different things I've tried over the last year. But realistically, it's all about sitting down, like being intentional, whether that's meditating or you know going for your walk. But it's whatever it does that t- takes you and shifts you into a better, more balanced state. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm kind of a junkie. Like I like to try anything. I'll, I'll try it all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the hardest thing for me is, is, is working through the resistance of actually then just doing the thing that can help get you into a better, more sustained be, way of being in the world. And, and, are your um I'm anxious to hear your podcast. You said that you sat across from your mom and discussed kind of your journey <laughs> and your life and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So has this whole like experience now that you're looking back and at this point is it is it brought you closer to your family? Has mm. it created interesting conversations? What does it look like in the context of your familiar relationships? Yeah, that's a good question. I had a really beautiful time with my dad and my mom uh, at a resort in Mexico. They're now retired. And my dad, you know, he's got his points and he's going to this mm-hmm. thing and hotel and he's, you know, whatever. And there was, it was, a, it was a day there we, we got to have some really honest conversation in a very unthreatening place with beautiful, you know, in a pool and perfect right. weather. And really what it did was it allowed each of us to see each other. And I think what it helped for me was say, you know, I don't have to see the world the same as my parents do, and they don't have to see it the same as I do. And we were able to, I think in that moment, transition into a new way of relating that was beyond an agreement-based connection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, I think of agreement-based friendships as very low-level consciousness friendships. I agree. And it's hard, though, because the religion, the, Christian, the form of Christianity I grew up in was an agreement-based religion. So not only is it a low, you know, if you and I have to agree on everything to be friends, it's like, th- th- first, that's impossible, mm-hmm. secondly. But let's transpose that onto an entire religion, entire Christianity. We're, we're operating at a super low level kind of thing. And I think with my parents specifically, we were able to go, okay, this is the way that you see the world, life, God. And in a way it serves you. 
and this is the way I do. And, and I've had to because I've needed something that helps serve me in this way, this way, and this way. And uh, because of that, I, I think I feel safer with my parents. And you talked about this, this, this podcast episode where my mom sat down with me and, you know, I had very 10 provocative questions I asked all my guests in, in the course of the interviews through the first season. It was things like, what are you, what, what do you, tell me one thing you used to be certain of, what are you certain of now? What is God? What's the meaning of life? What happens after you die? Some, some of these massive questions. And my mom, conservative, you know, Midwestern, Bible-believing Christian, uh, asked me these questions and I was honest about the way I saw things. And I'm really okay with not being right. And I'm really okay with that idea that I had yesterday being an idea that changes and evolves and moves. But there was a moment I remember talking about incarnation, uh, reincarnation, and how I, I kind of like the idea. I kind of like the idea that I get another chance. And I was like, but I also read this Buddhist thing where if you have a desire to be reincarnated, it means you're not even close to the enlightenment yet. And I was like, you know, I probably, I'm probably not, you know, but it was um, the most sustained conversation I think I've ever had with my mom. And we talked for an hour and a half and she sat down with me and she was with me. I mean, I felt her with me. And at the end of my answers, her normal response was, well, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so beautiful because she heard me and I had a moment to hear her. So good. And I think the way that I sort of boil it down now is this. It's less important to me uh, about whether what you believe is right or wrong. But show me the fruit of what your belief does for you, does for the world. Exactly. Does it serve you? Does it only serve you and not serve the world? Does it serve you and the world? Is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Is it, is there kindness in it? Is there compassion in it? You know, and, uh, it was really special to have those moments with my parents where I felt accepted even in the differing viewpoints. That's so good. Yeah. That is so good. And I, and I goes back to what you're talking about. Everything belongs and transcending and including um, mm. and modeling that, not just making a mental ascent. Um, that's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing some parts of your story. How, how do people get a hold of you and what can they find? Uh, your music, your... What, what 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 else? I usually play McCabe on Fridays okay. about three thirty. It's a golf course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you can find me at anywhere and everywhere. You know, uh, Instagram so Brady just, Toops just at Brady Toops or Twitter or you know I'm they, not on you Facebook. Even have a domain that name right? BradyToops.com or you know if you're interested in my podcast, mm-hmm. you could go to the UnravelPodcast.com. Or check it out, The Unravel with Brady Toops on any of your apps that you listen to podcasts. But that, that's been one of my favorite things. And there's there's ways on all of those places to message me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's pretty easy to get to me unless I'm playing golf. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I, I really want to say thank you for being honest. And thank you for being real. Um, because I what I sense in you is this growth and maturity and... Um, evolution of a, of a man who is really, really 
self-aware and trying to be more of that. Mm. And so thank you for modeling that. And thank you for modeling the transcending and including, because for so many of us, it's so, the struggle for me is um, sarcasm, it's bitterness, it's, oh, uh, that's so elementary, how could I have ever believed that? And that's just that's just a wrong way of, of looking mm. uh, at those things. Mm. Is without those foundational and introductional truths, I would never be where I am now, and uh, hope I look a lot different in five, ten years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, thank you for modeling that. Um, so that that's beautiful. That's a very kind thing to say. Sure. Well, Brady, thanks again for coming down to to my part of the woods in Nashville, and maybe I'll come up to to your part before too long. Come on up. The water's warm. (laughs) Good to have you. Talk to you soon.